It's Tuesday the 26th of November and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, Uruguay holds its breath after one of the tightest elections in decades. Monocle's Fernando Augusto Pacheco will be looking at what the knife-edge results tell us. Luis Lacalle Pou is not a populist. He's from the Conservative Party but he's very much a centrist. Plus, the most luxurious deal luxury's ever seen as LVMH adds Tiffany to its stable. Brisbane becomes the first Australian city to declare it's all in on the expressway towards electric public transport. And our business editor, Venetia Rainey, delivers a cautionary tale from the impulse aisle ahead of this year's Black Friday madness. I'm Ben Ryland in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. Voters in Uruguay went to the polls at the weekend in the second round of a presidential election. Early indications in the first round seemed to be leaning towards the National Party's Luis Lacalle Poe, but the country's electoral court says the results are still too close to call. Monocle's Fernando Augusto Pacheco has been following the story. Faye, what do we know? So Luis Lacalle Poe from, from the Conservative Party, he won by a very slim margin. He won with 48.71 and Daniel Martinez from the centre-left parties, uh, 47 7.51. Nobody was expecting that the result was going to be that close. Uh, people thought that Lacalle Poe would win, uh, you know, with at least five to eight points of advantage. Uh, so, of course, I think the Electoral Court took the decision to announce the winner on Friday. But it's very unlikely uh, that Daniel Martinez would win. And to be honest, I mean, it's kind of understandable. I mean, his party has been in power for, for, for quite a, a long period of time, and I think people wanted a little bit of change, even though he had quite a successful uh, government, I would say. Uh, a lot of kind of social changes, progressive changes uh, in Uruguay. And I must add here, uh, Luis Lacalle Poe, he's not a populist. He's uh, from the Conservative Party, but he's very much a centrist. Uh, so don't expect him to be best friends with Jair Bolsonaro from Brazil, for example. So, Fernando, what were the top issues during this election campaign? Politics has been in a bit of a state in some parts of the continent, but this campaign seems to have been a little bit more sedate. Yeah, it was it was sedate, but there were, there were still a couple of issues. Uh, I think Uruguay, again, did very well economically in the last years, but in the last year in particular, you, you know, they didn't grow that much, so I think people started to notice that, and I think crime was another uh, uh, big issue. Uh, and, and again, usually right-wing parties tend to do better that there's been a rise in crime which is strange because Uruguay is known as you know a more peaceful country in South America so of course there's been all those local issues there but but Ben I think the story here it's been a very peaceful election I wouldn't even say that it was very polarized even though as you know the country is divided in the sense I mean who they're choosing uh, but I wish uh, that all uh, elections in South America would be like that in a way indeed we do Fernando Augusto Pacheco always a pleasure thank you The luxury sector's biggest ever transaction looks set to proceed after LVMH announced that it'll buy the jeweler Tiffany & Company for $16.2 billion. Jamie Waters is Monocle's fashion editor. It's the biggest deal ever in the luxury sector and it kind of follows about a month of or, or longer of speculation about whether this deal was actually going to happen. LVMH initially apparently offered less and then was rejected. I think that the initial one was about $14 billion. So it's now six, around $16.2 billion. 
basically, it's a big step for LVMH into the jewellery hard goods market. LVMH, biggest luxury conglomerate, but is known for fashion and leather accessories and also wine and spirits and things like that. It does have some jewellery brands and some watches brands. It owns Tag, it owns Bulgari. It's not the dominant player in that field. Richemont, the Swiss conglomerate, is kind of the big jewellery and watches brand. So this, this acquisition, it's buying an absolute behemoth in Tiffany's. It's a big entree into the jewellery market and it's kind of LVMH saying we're dominant in fashion and now this stake our claim in the jewellery sector as well. There's been quite a lot of commentary about is it possible for an independent brand to still be independent today and I think you know obviously what this means is that you have you have 16.2 billion you also have the backing of this massive conglomerate which has huge manpower, huge resources, the kind of intel into the luxury industry is kind of amazing and and, and it's refreshed so many brands because Tiffany's in in an interesting position at the moment. It still has incredible brand awareness and it still plays on that idea of kind of American nostalgia and if you think of it's like flagship, it's still got that. What it struggled to do is kind of update its image and become popular with younger generations. I think basically what LVMH will do is refresh its image, give it a bit of a cooler edge, help it expand into these big potential markets. There's a buzz surrounding transit in Brisbane after the mayor, Adrian Skrinner, announced that the city will invest 194 million Australian dollars into a new fleet of 60 all-electric public transport vehicles, the first city in Australia to do so. Monocle's Nick Moniz has the story. Nick, Brisbane isn't exactly known for its public transport. This looks like it might be quite a boost for the city. This is going to be huge for the city. It's not just that they're becoming an Australia first, because uh, like, nowhere else in Australia has rolled out electric vehicles on this scale. But I think it's also that it is giving them the opportunity to sort of look at other cities around the world and, and take the, the lessons that they've, they've seen applied in these other cities to rolling out electric vehicles and, and bringing them to Brisbane and bringing them to Australia. I think I think the difference that Brisbane has, uh, or the advantage that Brisbane has, say, versus a, a Melbourne or a Sydney or a, or a Perth even, is that the transit is actually funded and run by the city itself, by the local government area, as opposed to being run by a state body, uh, which which gives it a little bit of edge in terms of it's able to focus on serving the city itself rather than worrying about meeting the needs of a, of a wider regional network. And, and it is paired up with other regional providers, but the actual buses themselves are going to be focused on the city. And that, that I think, is an advantage that Brisbane has over other Australian cities. Uh, Brisbane's government has opted for a publicly funded investment. Now, there are other examples of cities striking a public-private partnership. If we accept that sustainability concerns are only going to grow more and more urgent... What are your thoughts on, on whether cities should be thinking beyond these traditional project funding models? Well, I, th- I think it comes down to an issue of uh, ele- electric buses in the long term are, are going to be far more cost effective than their diesel counterparts. But the problem is the up- upfront cost of establishing and, and maintaining a network of electric buses. You've got charging stations and you know increases in terms of you know, your electricity bill, more or less. So what we've seen working in other countries are, are partnerships between private, uh, you know, energy supplies and some even public energy supplies and the public bus or, or public transit network. So I know in, in the United States there are school districts and, and local authorities that are partnering with the local energy providers to, to strike a deal uh, to defray 
the costs, I guess, of, of implementing this sort of new electric infrastructure, which in turn is obviously making that upfront investment smaller, which makes it possible for the city to introduce this infrastructure, which in the long term is going to make their public transport much more affordable. Nick Manise, we always appreciate your insights. Thank you. And finally today, Monocle's business editor, Venetia Rainey, delivers a cautionary dispatch from the impulse aisle ahead of this year's Black Friday. You've probably seen the Instagram posts by now. The banners on the website are hard to miss, and I know you've been getting the emails. That's right, Black Friday is nearly upon us. Once a strictly American affair time to kick off the Christmas retail period post-Thanksgiving, this annual shopping extravaganza has well and truly gone international, inspiring discounts and spin-off events around the world. Now, I love a sale as much as the next person, But is this feverish orgy of impulse consumerism really what we want? For starters, it's bad for physical retail. These days, in contrast to the original aim of boosting footfall in shops, people are increasingly migrating online for the best bargains, not to mention shorter cashier queues. Nearly two-thirds of US consumers are planning to avoid the high street this year, whether to shop via websites or not at all, according to a report by customer experience company Genesis. Further, the big winners are usually the big companies. In the UK last year, the majority of Black Friday spending was online, and Amazon was the top performer, according to global data retail analysts. There's also the impact on the environment of all those deliveries and returns. Some 30% of goods bought online are sent back. Plus the frenzied grabbiness of buying that item before it sells out that you or your partner or your dog never really wanted. The whole thing leaves a nasty taste in the mouth. So, this year, how about putting a sense of occasion and purpose back into your festive shop? Ditch Black Friday and make time to check out your local high street seasonal offerings. Oh, and did I mention that Monocle is doing its annual Christmas market in Zurich and London? You can find more details online. We'll see you there. My thanks to our business editor, Venetia Rainey there. That's all in today's program. You can read and subscribe to our daily email bulletin at our website, monocle.com. I'm Ben Ryland. The Monocle Minute returns on Wednesday. Wednesday.